It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the Agriculture Conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. This show will highlight three conversations I had with Montana's elected delegation in Washington, D.C. The focus of the topics of conversation will be about mandatory negotiated cash trade, a bipartisan push for mandatory country of origin labeling, and new markets for state-inspected meat and poultry. That is quite a lot to cover, but very in-depth conversations with Senator John Tester, Senator Steve Daines, and Congressman Greg Gianforte. These conversations come during a time when many producers are filled with anxiety and uncertainty on just how COVID-19 and other factors will influence their pocketbooks, and the futures of their family operations. These interviews were conducted by Zoom, and if you're interested in watching the interviews, just visit my Facebook page at Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster. We'll be back with U.S. Senator Steve Daines after this. As a Montana Farm Bureau member, you have access to a lot of valuable benefits. Now you can have your savings on the go with the Farm Bureau Member Benefits app. The app will show you where you can use your membership discounts with Granger, Case IH, Choice Hotels, John Deere, and more. Plus, with the app, your membership card is on your phone for easy access. It's free. Download the app today. Simply go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Farm Bureau Benefits app. Montana Farm Bureau, we care for the country. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a discussion surrounding the state of the cattle industry, not only in Montana, but across the nation. This is going to be the first of three interviews I have with Montana's delegation out in Washington, D.C., And joining me right now from his office on Capitol Hill is U.S. Senator Steve Daines. Senator, how are things going out in the Beltway here at the beginning of the week? Well, it's, uh, I'll tell you what, it's different times back here. It's real quiet in many ways. There's not a lot of visitors to the Hill, but hearings are proceeding. You're seeing a lot of folks wearing masks around Capitol Hill, but it's important that uh, we keep moving forward. There's a lot of important work to do on behalf of the American people, on behalf of Montana. And uh, I'm I'm glad to see Congress in session. Well, as I mentioned, cattle producers across the state and nation are are frustrated. They're they're anxious and they want some answers in terms of the impact that COVID-19 has had on the cattle markets, but also uh, say the impact that the Tyson plant fire in in Holcomb, Kansas had on the markets. Uh, To start really out this conversation, we've seen a push to see an expanded investigation by USDA into the matter of the market. In, in the and the aftermath of the fire and of course COVID nineteen, but also a, pit, a push by our uh, delegation in Washington to also see an, ex, an investigation with the Department of Justice into antitrust issues with the meat packers. Uh, what what is that shaping up to be, and what's your message to Montana cattlemen and women? Well, first of all, the messages that we've been receiving from. Uh, our cattlemen and women back in Montana, it's just this uh, huge disparity between the, you know, what's on the hoof and what's cut, that price gap. And that spread has been increasing uh, to levels we've never seen before. So it was time to act. And so we sent a letter to the Department of Justice, to Attorney General Barr, asking him to investigate what's going on. It just doesn't smell right, Lane, and I think everybody knows it. And uh, it's important that the DOJ is taking the lead on this because they've got subpoena power. 
And I was on the phone with uh, Secretary Sonny Perdue here a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about this. USDA, of course, is looking at this as well as they should. But we elevated the Department of Justice. Now they've got subpoena power. They're able to invoke powers to get to the bottom of what in the world's going on. And we know something is. There's, there's some monopoly issues, antitrust issues that we believe. And it's high time that DOJ start investigating. Also, uh, just uh, adding on to that, a lot of producers concerned about just uh, what they are getting for their calves. Again, uh, in the in the fall, that's when a majority of Montana producers ship their calves, and they want to they want to have a fair price. And there's been a lot of talk about uh, uh, setting a negotiated cash price uh, for the uh, cattle that are purchased out of the feedlots. Uh, just today, there there was talk and, and uh, movement on a bill. Uh, about uh, the 50% uh, negotiated cash uh, prices on that front. Uh, you are a co-sponsor of that. U.S. Senator John Tester uh, uh, helped write that, of course, as well. But So we're seeing a lot of bipartisan support on this. But what is this uh, negotiated cash bill that uh, you are supporting? Well, first of all, we've got uh, some of our South Dakota neighbors there, and, uh, uh, those senators as well as our Montana delegation, in a bipartisan way working together. This is about providing uh, transparency in these cattle markets. Uh, this is a bipartisan bill. This is addressing the issue we're hearing from our Montana ranchers to ensure that they're treated fairly as it relates to price. Uh, this is supporting accurate and fair price discovery, and that would require a minimum of 50% of a packer's weekly volume of beef slaughter come as a result of purchases made on the open of the spot market, that cash mark we're talking about. I think the concern I'm hearing from a lot of our producers is feeling far too speculative. As I think one rancher said it's like a casino at times in relates to what's going on pricing. And, uh, and so we're, we're pushing hard. Uh, clearly, as this goes through the, uh, the hearing processes, you know, we're, we're going to figure out you know, some tweaks to the bill. But it was important to act. We just could not sit back and keep the status quo. Uh, we had to go in and do something. That's exactly what we're doing here to move forward to try to get the bottom and get of this and to get more transparent, accurate pricing here for our, for our ranchers. Now, maybe for people not involved in production agriculture that might say uh, it's a free market system, uh, this is why the United States operates on capitalism, uh, why is the government stepping into this issue? What, what is your response to that? Well, it's, it's because we've got a system right now that just isn't fair. And uh, the folks coming out in the short end of that process are Montana ranchers. And I tell you what, our, our ranchers, they, they never ask, they never ask for a handout. They don't, you know, they're independent, strong folks, but they want a fair system. They want to make sure that, uh, that there's transparency. So there's some sense of what's going on with these, with these prices. And so, you know, we're, we're going to take a lot of input and hearings and, and get feedback from folks all over our state to come up with what we think is the very best solution, but it was not acceptable to sit back, it was time to act, and that's what we've done. One of those big issues that truly does split the livestock industry, in particular the beef industry and the cattle industries in two, is uh, uh, mandatory country of origin labeling. It, it, whether you're on Facebook or down at the local stockyards or, or just sitting at your neighbor's kitchen table, uh, this has truly created one of the most contentious talking points out in the countryside. And uh, you are supporting a resolution uh, for uh, the mandatory country of origin labeling to be re-looked at. Uh, what, is, what does that resolution look like? And uh, how does this differ from the 2015 repeal 
of the uh, MCOOL in terms of falling in line with World Trade Organization commitments? Well, again, we've been getting a lot of feedback from our ranchers. Uh, our producers are facing unprecedented challenges in the markets right now. Times are tough. And I've always been supportive of an effective labeling program. And the question is, just, should it be a volunteer program or should it be mandatory? Well, then we saw that Brazilian beef start flooding back into our market again. And our ranchers were saying, what's going on here, truly? And, and I, I think um, we may have found a way to thread that needle. And that is, this is a resolution for mandatory cool. And so what this will do is sends a message to our, our United States uh, trade rep our USTR will be in negotiations uh, with Canada, with Mexico, with the World Trade Organization, because we don't want to see retaliatory tariffs against U.S. beef. That's always been one of the knocks on mandatory cool. Well, this is a resolution supporting cool. So I think what that does, it tees up a discussion here to get the bottom of what's going on here without, without having the retaliation of Mexico in Canada. So I think this is the right place to land. It's a resolution. It's going to give our trade ambassador time to work these issues through with Canada, with Mexico, which of course import markets and we don't want to see retaliatory tariffs. And uh, the, the other big, it's, it's a busy week for livestock issues out in Washington. Uh, uh, last week and moving into this week, folks, uh, learn more about uh, the bipartisan support and your support of the Markets for State Inspected Meat and Poultry Act. Uh, we all agree that we, we've seen this backlog, whether it uh, be for the reduction that we see in, in the bigger packing plants or the smaller mom and pop shops, that uh, there's a lot of cattle that are bottlenecked. Um, there's been uh, labor issues due to COVID, but there's just mainly that uh, big supply that can't get processed right now. And there's a lot of uh, hurdles that keep uh, the hardworking men and women that have processing facilities here in Montana and the producers that send beef to those facilities from actually getting a product out. And, and if you're not certified uh, through USDA, you really can't send that product out of Montana to consumers uh, across the nation. So there's a lot of barriers, but I understand why there's uh, rules and regulations. It's about food safety. But uh, what does this act do and how is that going to help processors in Montana and cow-calf operators and feeders here? Well, Lynn, this is about bringing some common sense back to the discussion. I mean, one of the challenges we face, our producers in Montana, it's, it's a bit of a captive market. They're dependent on just a handful of, of, of packers. And just this last week, I signed on to a bipartisan bill it will strengthen that food supply chain. And what it does, it'll support our Montana livestock producers by ensuring that a state inspected processor will be allowed to ship across state lines. That just makes sense. I mean, if we, we should be able to trust our state inspected processors, right? And allow uh, that product to ship across state lines. And that's an important way to help fill some of the gaps that we're facing at the moment here with this Packer crisis. This is intended to provide some immediate relief uh, to our producers. I think it sets up to some longer term ideas as well, just to having more options for our producers as it relates to processing it. The bottom line is it's going to ensure that high quality meat gets to grocery shelves. The last thing we want to see here is an interruption in that, uh, that uh, food supply. You know, you think a shortage of toilet paper or something, Lane, whatever, you got a shortage of beef uh, on the shelves. And we're seeing some of that right now as well. And, and that's one of the reasons we acted on this bill. 
And again, just making sure that there's market access, whether that's here domestically or internationally. Uh, we've wrapped up 2019, moving into 2020. Pretty excited about that phase one uh, China trade deal and just the progress that we saw with uh, just uh, getting U.S. beef to China. That that was a big triumph on on uh, on behalf of you, on, on behalf of the work of the Montana stock growers. Uh, China, I, I personally believe China is still going to be a big opportunity for U.S. beef, especially we have, uh, there's bird flu going on in China right now. Of course, uh, we have uh, African swine fever and just the impact of COVID-19. What are you hearing? What are discussions going on in, in Washington in terms of uh, making sure that we can ship that high quality product? And obviously we talked about the processing and making sure it's processed. Uh, what are the discussions on that end of international trade in Asia? Yeah, well, face it, China's facing a protein shortage. We talked about the bird flu as well as the African uh, swine uh, virus. So it, it, it's, it's decimating the population. They need more protein. And of course, there's 1.4 billion consumers over there, and, uh, and they like American beef. It's the best beef in the world. And so having access to that market in the short and long term can be very, very important for our livestock producers in Montana. You think about what we saw happen at the end of 2019 or early 2020, prior to COVID-19, President Trump worked to get that very important trade deal signed with Japan, taking tariffs down you know, from the high you know, 39% down to single digit levels over the course of the next several years. That's a huge deal because that's kind of the bird in the hand. You know, that's an existing market. The opportunity for future growth, of course, is going to be the China market. But on one hand, Lane, we've got to hold China accountable for what happened with COVID-19. The cover-up, they didn't share with the rest of the world what was happening there in Wuhan. So we need to hold them absolutely accountable for that. At the same time, we want access for U.S. beef, for Montana beef into China. That's going to be all part of the challenges going forward here. But we think the long haul, access to these international markets is critical. You know, 95% of the world's consumers live outside the United States. That's where the mouths are to feed. That's going to be key for us to keep prices up and production up. My last uh, question uh, dealing with, uh, actually, the last time that you and I uh, met, uh, met face-to-face and did an interview was in your office when I was out with the National Potato Council before uh, the real big shutdowns happened across the nation as we quarantined for COVID. But uh, the big news was that very day, President Trump hand-delivered a letter that you signed and, and sent to the president, and he hand-delivered it to the Prime Minister of India bringing up the issue of making sure that U.S. pulse crop producers have the market opportunity in India. A lot of trouble uh, getting pulses into India, which uh, they're a huge market across the world, one of the biggest. Uh, what is the progress? I know COVID has really slowed down a lot of negotiations and talks, but uh, for our pulse crop producers that are moving into the uh, cropping season here, uh, any updates on that or, or movement that we could see in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, well, and that's a big opportunity for us. Of course, we're proud as Montanans. We are the leading producer in the United States of pulse crops. And I, I gave that letter to President Trump that I signed, and, uh, and he, he hand-carried that when he went to India and hand-carried and gave it to uh, Prime Minister Modi. And in fact, they took a picture of him handing off that letter. And then the president sent that to me and said, Steve, look, I just handed your letter to the Prime Minister. And w- the reason that's important is it puts India on notice that as we are looking at future trade negotiations and current trade negotiations, we need relief on these prohibitive barriers that India has in place that prohibits U.S. pulse crop producers. 
So I'll tell you, when you got the President of the United States, the most powerful leader in the world, talking to the Prime Minister of India, and we're getting that message out on behalf of our Montana Pulse producers, that, that's a good thing for Montana. It's a good thing long-term. You know, we've got a billion consumers in India as well. And again, I think the long-term for Pulse crop producers, access to that market is going to be critical. Well, no matter what the situation, farmers and ranchers uh, continue to move on, uh, pandemic or not. And I know it's uh, tough to, to keep your head up some days, but we always have to prevail. And uh, it's just nice to have fair markets, though. And that's the, that's the way that we continue to move forward. Senator, any, any last uh, comments that you have for uh, our Montana farmers and ranchers here today? Well, today I, I know as I travel around the state, it's good to see that green grass, uh, see cows on the ground. And, uh, you know, better times are coming. But uh, I'm just grateful for the feedback that we're receiving from our producers across Montana, no matter whether it's pulse crops, grains, uh, livestock. Uh, we're, we're advocates back here. And my, my highest honor is being able to take that voice of Montana and bring it to the floor of the U.S. Senate. And I'm grateful to be able to do that, Lane. Th thanks for the time today. A big thank you to U.S. Senator Steve Daines for joining the Agriculture Conversation. Don't go too far. U.S. Senator John Tester will be with us next. When it comes to a field of wheat or a herd of cattle, farmers and ranchers know there is success when the group is healthy. Montana Farmers Union understands this too. That's why we've spent the last century connecting Montana farmers and ranchers in our communities through cooperation, education, and legislation because successful farmers and ranchers are good for everyone in Montana. And we know that the power of many means the power of you, now and in the future. Learn more at MontanaFarmersUnion.com. Joining us is U.S. Senator John Tester. I know he just actually just came from a floor vote in the Senate chambers. Uh, Senator, we are continuing to talk about the impact that uh, the livestock industry is going through pre-COVID-19 and during COVID-19, a lot of issues on the minds of uh, producers here lately, but how are things out in the nation's capital here today as uh, so much is going on out here in the countryside? Well, I can tell you that uh, it's certainly not like, like life in, in Montana. Uh, the truth is, is that uh, this being much more populated, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a different world. And uh, I, I always appreciate it when I get back to Montana because the truth is, is that's home. And, uh, and, and, you know, we're socially distanced kind of by default out there, having a million people in a state as big as Montana. So it's good. But I will tell you that I'm hearing uh, a lot, uh, a lot more than usual, by the way, from cow-calf operators and small and medium-sized feeders about their future. And, uh, and the fact that as we've seen uh, meat prices go up in the grocery store shelf, their prices have gone down. Now, there's been a little bit of a rebound over the last week or so, but the truth is, is that the prices are still lower than the cost of production. And uh, we've got feeders out there that are losing three to 500 bucks a head, at least that's what they tell me. Cow-calf operators are about in the same boat, and we got the packers that are making two grand a head. So there's something wrong with that system, and it's one of the reasons I had asked uh, Attorney General Barr to do an investigation. Uh, hopefully, uh, and I don't care if he just wants to deal with the, with the big four, if he wants to deal with the whole packer industry, but but find out what's not working because uh, obviously capitalism isn't working there. We don't have competition like we should have for 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 those marketplaces, and uh, so we've got a, we've got a number of bipartisan bills that we're working on to try to remedy that, and uh, and and quite frankly, it needs to happen. Otherwise, as one uh, feeder told me, the landscape for cow feeding uh, is going to change and it'll change for the worse for a consumer 
and certainly for the economy for Montana. So as many folks have seen over the past few days, a lot of work, a lot of bipartisan work uh, with uh, our delegation from Montana and the surrounding states and, and, and from uh, cow-calf country across the nation. We are seeing a push for, for multiple items. One of those is for more interstate commerce of meat products. We've seen obviously a lot of factors going into why we've had a bottleneck in the beef supply chain. But you know, I, I, I've said this and this kind of my slogan, there's nothing more American than seeing a butcher shop on Main Street. And, Amen, and, and that's just something that we have uh, really seen a lot, you know, I mean, it's tough to take them over. There, there's regulations that go into keeping a, a premises up, up to code. Uh, uh, equipment is not cheap when it comes to meat processing and you have to be state uh, certified. And then there's also components uh, with USDA. Um, and I've talked with uh, Representative Gene Forte and Senator Danes on this, uh, but what are some ideas, some co-op ideas, some funding ideas to, to possibly even see more Main Streets have one or two butcher shops so we, we can have more yep. product processed locally? And I would add to that list of all those challenges that you just put forth, Elaine, that it's hard work. It's hard work. And uh, uh, people that, that don't know how to work or don't get into that business. And so uh, one of the things that there's a proposal out right now uh, in Senator Rounds, Senator King, uh, it's actually tripartisan because Senator King's an independent, Senator Rounds a Republican, and there's a number of Democrats and Republicans on it that, that is asking for uh, state inspected shops to be able to sell across state lines. Now, this is good news. I mean, I think it, anytime you lay out a landscape and businesses will move to that landscape. And, and you know, we just talked about a million people being in the state of Montana. If you can access some of those more populated areas, it gives a market uh, for those those fed cattle. And, and, uh, and I think that even though our smaller butcher shops, many of them are working to the max, there's opportunity to be able to expand. Uh, you know, if you get if you get more room to be able to hang those carcasses and, and potentially freeze those carcasses, um, you can, you know, you can, instead of running an eight hour shift once a day, you can run a 16 hour shift or maybe even a 24 hour shift. So there's opportunity out there to expand just in existing plants with some minor modifications. So I think if we could get this bill passed, which would allow for state inspected meat shops to be able to sell across state lines, I think we'd see positive impact on the cattle prices even by fall. Why? Because this brings the small guys into the loop and, and gives, the, gives the feeder more opportunity to sell their cattle than rather just the, the, big, the big four. And so there's, there's opportunity if we get this passed and hopefully we can get Senator McConnell to bring it up on the floor because it helps, it helps not only the, the feeders and the cow-calf producers, it will also help the consumer because it'll give them more choice. And so it, it really is a win-win bill. There's really no downside to it in my opinion. Obviously, this turns more into a state government issue and, and county uh, local government issues as well. But you, you look back to uh, a few few years ago when there was a proposal to have a, a multi-species processing plant uh, outside of Great Falls. That, that came up with a lot of community uh, resistance up there. But I mean, what, what are some strategies? I think some consumers now are thinking, oh, maybe that was a good idea to have that. I know there's a lot of factors that, that go into those decisions. But what are, because obviously mom and pop shops are important, but maybe a, a, a medium sized processor to get, you know, more head through a week. What are some discussions there to, to get more commerce and jobs in Montana as well? 
I, look, there's always there's always opportunity in Montana to be able, to be able to add value to our egg products. There's just no doubt about it. Whether you're talking cattle, pork, grains, pulses, whatever it might be, but but the, but the bottom line here is is that, and we could get a medium-sized plant in, but what we have with these smaller state inspected plants are just right there for the taking. And one of the issues that we've seen with COVID-19 is these bigger plants have two, 3,000 people, maybe more, uh, that are working literally shoulder to shoulder. With coronavirus, it's spread in those kind of conditions. You have those smaller plants, you have an ability, you're still working in fairly close conditions, but much more spacing than doing those big plants. So what I'm saying to you, Elaine, is right now, those the opportunity is really with with those small producers and and how many times can you say that in, in agriculture that the small guys really maybe have a market advantage here right now because of the COVID crisis but they've got to be able to sell their products across state line and then then I would say that that if 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 we make this work and it works for those small processors then I think you're going to see the medium-sized processors potentially come in and say hey if there's a market and the little guys can make it run a medium-sized outfit can make it go too and then, and then, of course, you've got a community support, which was a challenge in Great Falls. But, but I think that that will happen with with uh, with giving the small producers, the small meat processors, the ability to sell across state land, uh, state lines. Now, as we look at the the cattle markets themselves, and just uh, looking at issues uh, from from pricing to uh, just making sure that producers, at the end of the day, cow calf producers receive a fair price. Uh, there's been a lot of movement in terms of looking at negotiated cash trade. Um, what what is the uh, bipartisan bill that uh, that Montana's delegation is supporting, along of course, into rounds out of South Dakota, helping lead that charge as well. Let's talk about that negotiation cash trade and the percentages and how that may be tweaked uh, along the process as well so this gets complicated if you're not in the area of agriculture uh, and it's why I really appreciate you Lane because you understand this stuff but the truth is is that when you're when you're dealing with cattle prices you're dealing with future prices formula prices and cash prices uh, what uh, and this is a bill that Senator Grassley has been working on for a while and I've been working on it with him for a while but this is a bill that will, uh, right now, cash pricing's 10 to 20% of the market. It can be easily manipulated, those cash prices. And those cash prices influence formula pricing and futures pricing. So what Senator Grassley has done with this bill is he said, let's make cash prices at 50%. Now, I don't think there's any magic in 50% versus 60% or 40%, but it makes it much more difficult to manipulate those cash prices if they're half the market. And I think that's the goal behind this is let's stop the manipulation. Let's let capitalism and free market work. Let's let competition work. And we'll see the, we'll see the, 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 the feeders and the cow-calf guys get more of the pie. Right now, they're not getting enough of the pie to be able to stay open. And so hopefully if we can get this bill, another bill that's important, just like the, the small butcher shop bill, uh, then, then I think it's going to do some positive things for the folks on the ground in Montana. And, you know, uh, Montana is a state where we got more cattle and people. This could have a big impact economically. Now, some may argue, though, that that's government uh, involvement in capitalism. Uh, what What is your response to that? And I guess is fifty percent an actual doable number? Will there Will there be compromise within the the Senate and, and the House if this moves forward? Yeah. Any bill that comes forward is going to be going to be massaged and compromised through the process. Like I said, I don't think there's anything magical about 50%. It could be a different number. I think the key is is make it so it's not a number that can be easily manipulated. 
Um, and and I, I would just say that, uh, what was the first part of the question? I got the second. Yeah, no, no worries. I shouldn't ask two questions in one there, but oh, that's okay. uh, uh, some, some would argue that having the oh, government uh, step in. Yeah. yeah, right on. And, and by the way, uh, I, I just like regulation as much as anybody, but when you have a situation where there's so much consolidation in the marketplace that capitalism isn't working, then you need to step in. We stepped in uh, 100 years ago with the Packers of Stockyard Act or about that. And, and that's why we want the attorney general to do an investigation to say, hey, what's going on? Maybe the laws on the books aren't working anymore. And so if it is, then we need to come forth with the bill on, on, on the cash pricing, on spot cash pricing. If, if that's what we need to do, that's what we need to do. The bottom line for me is this. When you don't have competition in the marketplace, and you don't have fair pricing, and you're putting the backbone of this country out of business, and I'm talking about the cow-calf folks and the folks that feed, and just like the American farmer, the American rancher is the backbone of this country, then we need to step in and government needs to say, hey, let's take a look at this system. How can we make it look work better? And that's exactly the efforts behind both the bill on cash pricing and the bill on, uh, on uh, the small butcher shop selling across state lines. Uh, Senator, one of the most divisive issues out in the countryside for livestock producers is no doubt country of origin labeling, whether that be mandatory or voluntary. And really uh, this week, uh, uh, your office and Senator Dane's office announced a, a bipartisan uh, push to uh, present a resolution for mandatory country of origin labeling. You've been a supporter of mandatory cool um, all the way through and, and you did not vote, I know, uh, for that repeal in 2015. Uh, what is different about this resolution, if anything, and how will this impact the marketplace at all, if at all? So I, I will tell you, I have never been able to figure out the mystery behind why we don't have country origin labeling. Uh, as a consumer, and, and you can look at me, I consume a lot of beef <laughs> and pork. I want to know where this stuff is grown and raised. I think it just helps our producers if you know that. If it's, if it's meat that comes out of Brazil or Argentina, that might be all good for somebody, but it's not good for John Tester. I want to know where it comes from. And I think most consumers are that way, and they will give an advantage to the American, the United States-raised product. So I've never been able to figure out why we haven't had this. I know that Canada's threatened us with, with tariffs and embargoes and trade wars and all this stuff. That's why it was repealed in 2015. I personally think we should have fought it uh, because I think we could have won it if we'd have fought it. But nonetheless, that's passed. Now we have an opportunity like we've never had before. And maybe it's because of the tough conditions in, 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 in cow-calf country and in, in the feeder country. I don't know. But we have got bipartisan support like we have never had before, not on voluntary cool, on mandatory cool. That's a, this is a very good sign. It's a very good sign for the producer. And once again, it's a very good sign for the consumer. And I think if we can get this resolution through, and I've never been one crazy about resolutions because they don't have the power of law. It is a resolution. But I think this one would speak highly, especially considering we've debated this issue for decades. And now we've got to a point where we've got bipartisan support the push through mandatory country virgin labeling, that's, that's a very good sign. And I think it's a win-win for, for, for American, uh, whether you're raising cattle or whether you're eating cattle. So what, what, what are some of the steps uh, with the resolution? Say it, uh, it, it is recognized. Does that help on the trade front at all? 
Well, I think that we're still going to get some of the pushback uh, from, from, from the trading partners because they know, just like we know, that America raises the best beef in the world. And we have a market advantage if we have it labeled as what country was, it was born and raised in and fed in. Uh, so so there's, there's going to be some pushback. But I will tell you, if we could get a good vote out of this, out of the United States Senate and the United States House, uh, I think it would give instruction to the Department of Agriculture to go out there and fight for country of origin labeling. And I think that's a mistake that was made in 2015. We didn't fight for it. We folded. And that's not the right thing to do. Senator Tester, I know it's a busy day out in the Beltway. Uh, any last uh, messages that you have for the hardworking men and women that uh, are continuing to put the crop in the ground here this spring and get calves branded and get ready to turn out to summer pasture? Well, you know, these are, these are, these are interesting times, and, and, uh, and it's an interesting times in agriculture, uh, whether you're uh, farming or whether you're ranching. And I would just say that, uh, you know, things, things will pass here. I think that hopefully we can, get, we can take advantage of some of the opportunities that are out there and some of the lessons that this COVID-19 virus is teaching us as we speak. And, and, uh, and hopefully we we'll get some good legislation passed that, that will be around long after this COVID is gone and, and the people of Montana and the people of this country can take advantage of those uh, market forces that are out there that need to be unleashed. Again, thank you so much to U.S. Senator John Tester for taking the time to chat about all that is going on in Washington, D.C. Don't leave yet. We'll have U.S. Congressman Greg Gianforte of Montana coming up after this message. You're still raising cattle, and we're still standing with you. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association was the first to call for an investigation into the cattle markets after the Holcomb plant fire in 2019. And we were the first to expand the investigation after COVID-19 hit the industry. We work across all levels of government, ensuring you have the freedom and the flexibility to operate with confidence. Help develop the policy that moves the beef industry forward. Join NCBA and add your voice to that of 25,000 ranchers who are still raising cattle. We're discussing the impact that is seen across the nation and especially here in Montana in terms of how COVID-19 and other factors have really had a huge impact on Montana and the nation's cattle markets and, and really just the, the mood in the countryside really needs some certainty right now. And joining us here today is Congressman Greg Gianforte, who's been working on these issues out in Washington, D.C., and talking with producers back here at home. Uh, Congressman, how are things going here this morning? Well, Lane, good to be with you. It's, uh, it's clear. You know, our ranchers produce the best beef in the world, and they're not getting a fair price right now. So this is, uh, I'm hearing this loud and clear as I talk to folks across the state. Uh, we need to get to the bottom of these pricing issues. I Last summer, when we had the Tyson fire at Holcomb, I reached out to Secretary Perdue uh, saying we need to investigate this. Uh, then in October, I called for a congressional investigation into the cattle market with a speech on the floor. And then last month, again, I reached out to Secretary Perdue and Attorney General Barr. We need to punish any anti-competitive behavior here. We need to get to the bottom of it. I'm glad to see the president now responding to our requests we need to get to the bottom of this because our ranchers work too hard not to get a fair price for their for their beef 
Congressman, could you maybe discuss uh, about the differences between what a USDA investigation, obviously they've expanded their investigation from the initial Tyson plant fire to incorporate uh, the situation in the wake of COVID-19. The difference between the USDA investigation and the difference between the Department of Justice's investigation and how those two different entities may come with different results at the end of the day, but uh, which one is more important? Are they both equally important? That's a question I get from a lot of our producers out in the countryside. Yeah, Lane, we've got to pursue pursue all these avenues, both on the Justice Department side as well as USDA. Uh, The Justice Department, the Attorney General, I've been proud of the way he stood up for Americans when he's pursued these investigations. I think he's more looking at uh, monopolistic behavior. Uh, Was there price fixing, these sorts of things? Uh, The USDA is is looking at were there uh, agricultural rules violated in the process. Again, we need to punish. If there's any any competitive behavior going on, we need to get to the bottom of it. But I, I also know that, you know, we have to look a little further down the road. And that's why I've been working with the processors in the state. I had a call this week with the Montana uh, um, meat processors. Uh, are there, is there red tape we could remove? Because ultimately, we've got to increase our in-state capacity. This whole problem has persisted for a long time. It's just exacerbated here by the COVID crisis. Uh, We need to increase capacity because American consumers don't know where their beef is coming from. And we produce a premium product. I want to give consumers in Seattle or Tokyo the ability to pay more for a Montana steak. We've got to preserve the Montana brand through the supply chain. And until we have a little more influence and um, capacity back here at home, that's not going to be possible. Well, I always say there's nothing more American than seeing a butcher shop on Main Street that is is operating. It'd be great to see two butcher shops on a Main Street in, in rural parts of Montana. Uh, but there is a lot of red tape, as you mentioned. Uh, a lot of that is put in place for safety concerns. But uh, obviously, there might be some areas where uh, uh, the federal government and state agencies can, can work to maybe uh, pull back some of that red tape, but also just the startup costs, because we've seen so many of these small butcher shops just go go out of business because they can't pay to maybe make the upgrades, uh, uh, you know, upgrades to their buildings, to equipment. It's not cheap. What are some maybe some tools or some uh, uh, ways, avenues that these processors, whether it be a group of cattlemen or just someone that has a passion and, and wants to start a, a local butcher shop for all protein sectors, uh, what, what are some solutions that are maybe ta- being talked about up on the hill? Well, this is exactly the discussion I had with the Montana Meat uh, processors this week is what are the regs that get in the way? Um, and, you know, right now we have a one size fits all program. Now we have to ensure that the food supply is safe. Every consumer wants that. There's no meat processor that wants to uh, make a mistake and, and, and find themselves out of business. That being said, the same rules today apply for these massive packing plants as they would for a butcher on Main Street. And I, I don't think a one size fits all makes sense here. Uh, we ought to look at, are there ways to speed up the permit process? There's also been, and I've worked on this problem extensively with uh, Bart Riley over in Butte, uh, there has been apparently some persecution of some of these meat processors, uh, in fact, trying to drive them out of business. And uh, that is a cultural issue at the Food Safety Inspection Service that I don't think we've fully gotten to the bottom of that. And if there is a problem there, we need to get to the bottom of it so that these local processors can continue to expand their capacity 
so that Montana beef producers have more options on where they, where they take their product. Congressman, back in 2015, Congress repealed the uh, mandatory country of origin labeling rule. Of course, that was in the wake of a, uh, a WTO uh, decision that, uh, that, that the U.S. lost that case multiple times. Uh, there was the risk of a billion-dollar tariff on U.S. beef uh, product that would ultimately possibly trickle all the way down to the producer. Now, this was a big discussion uh, on social media, uh, downtown at the local cafe. Uh, and and, and I, as I mentioned to Senator Danes, it's truly, I think, one of the number one issues that splits the livestock industry right now. And that's troubling to me as an advocate for all of agriculture. Uh, it's being talked about uh, a resolution being brought up in the Senate, I believe today, uh, to really uh, maybe provide some direction for the U.S. Trade Representative. Um, what, what, I guess, how, how do you see this from the House side? Is it, is it even possible? Obviously, it's a resolution, so it's not law. But uh, how, how can the mandatory country of origin labeling be looked at differently from how it maybe has been in the past? Well, I, American consumers want to know where their beef is coming from. And uh, the world, as you noted, the World Trade Organization did rule against the U.S. with cool. Uh, I support uh, letting American consumers know where their beef is coming from. I think the immediate step we can take, and I've urged the administration to do this, right now, the voluntary labeling program in product of the USA doesn't mean the cow was born, raised. It might have been processed here. Uh, we need to fix that first. That's a step we can take right now. And then as we uh, uh, work on revising our trade agreements around the world, we ought to look at incorporating cool into those agreements so we don't run into this World Trade Organization. So immediately what we could do, and I've urged the administration to do this, is change the definition of product of the USA to mean the cow was born, raised, slaughtered, and processed here in the United States. I think that's what consumers expect. And it is the labeling definition that exists in the land market. Why would we do something different for beef? Uh, it's misleading that someone can bring a carcass in from Brazil, process it here, and put product of the USA on it because it is not. Also, a big issue that I, I think has maybe got pushed to the side in the headlines, uh, we, we have to be able to get our livestock to market. Uh, obviously, if we have more of a, a local processing set up here in Montana, that really lessens the, the, the length that we need to be able to transport live animals uh, to feedlot country. But as of right now, we have producers that are gearing up uh, for branding right now. They're going to be shipping calves this fall, hopefully to those feedlots, and hopefully we get these cattle markets up and going this fall with electronic logging devices and hours of service rule uh, we've seen some great flexibilities uh, due to the pandemic but what what is some of the work that is uh, still going on out on capitol hill that maybe uh, that, that we're not seeing in mainstream media in, in trying to get this a permanent solution to elds and hours of service yeah so this has been a real concern for ranchers if i spoke to them because the you know you you load up cattle you need to get them to the feedlot or the processing center. You can't pull over for, to take a nap for the driver. You need to get it done. Um, the ELD requirements were excessive. They were overdone. I've really been the lead in the U.S. House in working with Secretary Chow uh, on relaxing these hours of service requirements so that uh, particularly the ag sector and uh, ranchers in particular have more flexibility to make sure they don't jeopardize uh, uh, the livestock uh, with ex excessive losses or 
uh, increased mortality on the way to market. Um, and we've gotten some positive feedback. I've now introduced a number of bills in the House focused on relaxation of these ELB rules, particularly for agriculture. And we're going to keep pressure on that because, again, it's a situation where one size doesn't fit all. And we have to understand that in places like Montana, where uh, in, in Big Sky Country, we have so much space between ranches and feedlots or slaughter capacity, we need more flexibility to make sure we can get our uh, livestock to market. Endangered Species Act and the grizzly bear is truly dominating uh, headlines for ranchers here this spring uh, up on the Rocky Mountain front. I've seen images of, uh, uh, of calves that tr have had their skulls crushed by a grizzly and, uh, and just grizzly sightings all over. And, and all ranchers agree they are for seeing a species recover. Well, many agree that the, that the grizzly bear has recovered. It is causing a lot of uncertainty up there. And, and truly, people are fearful for the safety of their families. What, what is some of the work that uh, the House is uh, working on uh, with uh, the DOI and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to look at these issues to truly start moving towards a delisting of the species in the Rocky Mountain West as well? Well, the grizzly bear should be delisted. It's, uh, from a conservation perspective, it's a victory. It was listed. It's recovered. It's time to get off the list. And uh, this is one thing I've been working with Secretary Bernhardt at the uh, Department of Interior. Uh, he accepted my invitation to come to Montana. It was the first ever presidential secretary ever to go to Shoto, Montana. And we sat down there with ranchers, local county commissioners, law enforcement, and moms to talk about the impact on the lives of these bears. And we've seen the, uh, the, the livestock losses increase year over year. Uh, when we took him out of Shoto, we were less than two miles from Main Street and there was a sow and two cubs in the middle of a cut wheat field. So clearly this is an issue. I had one gentleman show up at the meeting and pull a raw hide out of the back of his pickup truck, throw it on the ground in the parking lot. He just skinned it off the animal the day before. You could see the teeth marks in the withers. It was his 12 year old son's horse that had been killed by a grizzly bear the day before in their backyard. Uh, this, these people are living with terror. You're, they're living with uh, their lives, their livelihoods being threatened. Uh, I was very pleased that based on that visit, Secretary Bernhardt from Interior has now given us uh, expanded hazing guidelines so we won't have ranchers getting escorted off their place in handcuffs if they haze bears away from livestock or their homes. Uh, he, we also were able to secure additional resources um, for U.S. Wildlife Service for uh, predator control. Uh, that's going to be helpful. Uh, the state could have been more helpful in working with them when Secretary Bernhardt contacted FWP here in the state and offered additional authority to deal with these problem bears. The Montana FWP told the Department of Interior that, no thank you, we don't want additional authority to manage these bears, just send us more money. Uh, this is why we need new leadership at FWP. Uh, and I look forward to getting that done um, as, as we go forward here, Lane. Congressman, I know you have a busy day ahead of you. So again, thank you for joining me here early this morning. Uh, any last uh, comments and thoughts that you would like to share with Montana farmers and ranchers here this morning? Well, we're in a tough patch. Uh, and, but I know that Montanans are resilient. We're going to get through this and we're going to be stronger on the other side. My commitment, I think there's a public-private partnership that has to be established, particularly for our beef producers, so that we can preserve the Montana brand 
through the supply chain so that discerning consumers have the opportunity to pay more for a Montana steak, because they will, and that value come back to the producers themselves. I think this is gonna, it's gonna have to be a public-private partnership, but as, uh, as a leader in the state, I really wanna bring people together, figure out how we scale up the slaughter capacity we have, and then we've gotta shift and we've gotta do a little marketing. The Montana brand sells. We just need to make sure it's attached to the steak so that these consumers can pay more, and that value gets back to our hardworking ranchers. Well, Congressman Greg Gianforte, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing all the work that you and your team are doing out in Washington, D.C. on behalf of Montana and Montana farmers and ranchers. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lane. My pleasure to be with you. Well, friends, that will do it for today's agriculture conversation. A big thank you to our elected delegation from Montana out in Washington, D.C. Have a great day. I'm Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.